Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. My name is Blake Lambert Hack, and this season I will be covering deaths and hauntings on the high seas. For those who have recently discovered this podcast, welcome. I started this out of intrigue for true crime and my own personal paranormal experiences. I do believe in ghosts, and even though we may never know what a ghost really is, I have come to believe that a ghost is the spirit of a person who has passed on that still has unfinished business. It's what most people believe, I feel, but that unfinished business could be anything from telling your relatives that everything's fine, or it could be that they roam this earth until justice is served for their untimely death. Again, we'll mostly likely never know, but I am here to tell you ghost stories. So, let's get in to the most, to one of the most haunted destinations in America, the Queen Mary. And I don't know if any of you guys know this, but the Queen Mary is currently docked in LA permanently. It's a hotel. And... For a long time, you were able to rent it out and stay on the Queen Mary. However, right now, I know there's like repair being done, I believe. So hopefully in the future, we'll be able to stay in the Queen Mary again. Because when I visited LA, I I didn't have the chance to. So hopefully soon we'll be able to spend the night in the Queen Mary and get in some hauntings while we're at it and enjoy LA. The ship is not American, though. It is, in fact, British. Queen Mary. And I'm sure most of you know that for an extremely long time, and even somewhat today, Britain was known for their navy and shipbuilding. They've been trading with countries across the globe for centuries, and their country has been well protected for, for equally as long. They were definitely masters of ocean travel, though Spain was up there with them for a while. However, come the early 1900s, Germany was making a run for that title. In July 1929, the German sister ships Europa and Bremen were launched working the transatlantic route between America and Europe. And this is significant because they, quote, were the two most advanced high-speed steam turbine ocean liners of their day, unquote. These two ships spurred an international competition to build the fastest, largest, and most luxurious ocean liners to ever exist. It was a point of prestige for the countries. They all coveted the blue ribbon, which was an accolade given to passenger liners crossing the Atlantic Ocean, 
with the record highest average speed. Apparently, it was a big to-do in early 1900s before commercial airplane airplanes were a thing. And I always think about that, you know, we're so used to airplanes these days, but they weren't commercial and they weren't for public until not that long ago. So many people had to travel internationally on ship, which would take months. And a cruise sounds so nice, but that's like a week long. I mean, I guess you could take a month long cruise, but that's luxurious. You're not necessarily trying to get from A to B for work or anything like that, but I could not imagine having to travel the Atlantic. That is a lot of planning. You may not know it, but you all know of a ship trying to reach the achievement and obtain the blue ribbon for fastest ship across the Atlantic, but unfortunately met an untimely demise in 1912. The Titanic was making its way to New York and wanted to prove that the brand new ship with all the luxuries you could ask for was the best on the high seas by crossing the ocean in six days. Titanic was owned by White Star Line, who also owned the Queen Mary. But obviously, the Queen Mary came a couple decades after Titanic. I just think it's interesting that these ships were so desperate to be the fastest. Like, six days is quick. I was talking about it taking a month, and like that was long before luxury liners were starting to be built. Six days is quick. That I can see why people wanted that because then you could sell more tickets and make more money, of course. But it's also risky, right? Especially the time of year you go. We all saw what happened to the Titanic. The ocean is un predictable. So construction of a brand new fast passenger liner named Hull Number 534 was begun in December of 1930 in Scotland. However, a year later, construction stopped due to the Great Depression. So a loan was granted to finish building the ship from the British government. But the government also provided enough money for a second ship so they could provide a two-ship weekly service to New York City and back to Britain. At this point, the company Cunard was building the ship, but because of the Depression, they merged with White Star Line in 1934. And after three and a half years and $17.5 million dollars, Queen Mary was finally built. And just so you know, that's over $354 million today. It's insane. And this ship race was just getting more intense. The British government forked over tons of money during the Great Depression to build two ships. Two ships that were supposedly the best at the time. Also, the River Clyde had to be deepened to deal with Queen Mary's size. 
And I love that they said, let's make a river deeper because we need to make ships huge instead of just making a normal size ship to fit the river that it's being built and traveling through. No, no, no. We need to alter the natural surroundings. If it's not scraping the ocean floor, it's not big enough. The Queen Mary was named after Mary of Tech. However, that was not always going to be the name of the new liner. Cunard had a custom of naming all their ships names that ended in IA. For example, Lusitania, Andania, Carinthia, Coronia, Pannonia, Russia, Umbria, and like the list goes on and on. So the rumor goes that the company went to the King of England at the time, King George V, and asked him permission to name the ocean liner after Britain's, quote, greatest queen, thinking he would say yes and they would name the ship Queen Victoria, keeping in line with the IA at the end. However, when they asked the king, he said his wife, Mary of Tech, would be honored to be named after the passenger liner, which is such an awkward exchange. It's hard to tell if the king was just being a dick and being like, well, how dare you ask about the greatest queen and not think of my wife? Or if he was just so naive, ignorant about what they were asking, but very awkward exchange because at this point you can't name it Victoria. Like that would that would make you look bad in front of the king. Victoria ruled for so long and generally people loved her from my understanding. So to assume that your wife, who I don't think did much ruling, was Britain's greatest queen queen, it's very cringe. The company couldn't do much after that exchange, like I was saying. So they named the new ship the Queen Mary. The company still denies that the story is real, even though people who were on the maiden voyage with the company's owner at the time claimed he told them the story and asked it not to be published while he was still alive. I think it's true. I think it's very plausible it happened that way. Because otherwise they would have just named it Victoria. So... Queen Mary's maiden voyage was on May 27th, 1936, traveling from Southampton to New York City. Her rival at the time was the French liner Normandie. Normandie? I'm so bad at French, you guys. Normandie was more modern looking for the time and was the largest and fastest passenger ship afloat crossing the Atlantic in 4.14 days, which is insane. Remember, Titanic was trying to cross it in six, and this is like a couple decades later, so the French ship was crossing it in just a little over four days. And she is still the most powerful steam turbo electric propelled passenger ship ever built, which is what what a record to hold. Steam turbo. Most powerful steam turbo electric propelled passenger ship work. Queen Mary was more traditional looking, and even though the inside was designed in Art Deco, which I love, and I really want a house with Art Deco, I'm obsessed with the really 
nice lining of everything and the gold. It's just so nice. But even though the Queen Mary had Art Deco, it had a conservative touch to it. However, despite all the criticism of her looks, Queen Mary was still preferred by passengers over Normandy. And I believe it's probably just a smoother ride, or maybe the staff was better. It's hard to tell, but Normandy was the blue ribbon holder in 1935, the year it was launched. But Queen Mary captured that title the following year with average speeds of 30.39 knots, which is about 35 miles per hour. Normandy, being very competitive, refit their propellers and reclaimed the blue ribbon in 1937. However, the Queen Mary wasn't going to give up and took back the crown in 1938, which she held until 1952 when she lost it to the United States. But 14 years being the fastest isn't a bad accolade. 14 years being the fastest. Usain Bolt wishes. Wishes. 14 years. Untouchable. So let's say you were looking for a nice vacation, or holiday I should say, and wanted to see the Big Apple. To entice you to choose Queen Mary, she had two indoor swimming pools, beauty salons, libraries, children's nurseries for all three classes, which is wild, but so deserved, a music studio, lecture hall, telephone to anywhere in the world. In 1936, they had paddle tennis courts and dog kennels. She had many air-conditioned rooms, which again, in the 30s, is luxury. Luxury. I've always said the best invention ever is air conditioning, followed by a a water heater, period. She was the first ship with her own Jewish prayer room, which was probably to combat the anti-Semitism happening in Germany at the time, but that's still amazing. First Jewish prayer room. The first class dining room was three stories tall. Within that room, there was a map of the transatlantic crossing, and it had a model of the Queen Mary so you could track where you were on your trip. I can't even do that in an airplane with my phone. They were really trying to think of everything. And as someone who's never been on a cruise, I'm very impressed. I would have taken that trip. Beside the dining room, there was a restaurant on the sun deck that turned into a club at night and a bar with wide ocean views. And of course, I'll post photos on social medias, but I would definitely look up some photos of your own because that's a lot for the 30s. It's impressive. I'm still not over a three-story dining, like, dining room. That'd be gorgeous. And a bar and a club. Everyone's getting turned on the Queen Mary. I love it. In August 1939, Queen Mary was making a return trip from New York when the Second World War began. For the passenger's safety, the battlecruiser HMS Hood escorted Queen Mary back to Southampton 
She arrived safely and set out on her normal run September 1st. But by the time she arrived in New York City, World War II had officially begun, and Queen Mary was ordered to remain in port along with her rival Normandy. Mary's sister ship, Queen Elizabeth, was in Scotland in a fitting out berth or, or dock when the war started, and the English knew they were going to need the Queen Elizabeth to help in the war efforts, so to save her from U-boat attacks and German ships in the area, they took several precautions, including painting the passenger liner in Battleship Grey so she was unrecognizable. She left the docks so a battleship could take her place to finish construction, and she sailed to Southampton. There, she refueled and was given strict orders to sail to New York City to meet up with Queen Mary. Queen Elizabeth wasn't allowed to slow down for anything and to be on complete radio silence the entire way. It took her six days to get to New York because she had to avoid German U-boats. When Queen Elizabeth arrived, she was docked right next to Queen Mary in Normandy, making it the only time all three of the largest liners in the world were docked together. And there's a photo that's really cool to see. Shortly after sitting idle, the Allies decided that the three ships could be used as troop ships. They all went to different locations to be outfitted with anti-aircraft guns and other necessities. Unfortunately, the Normandy was destroyed by a fire while being converted. Queen Elizabeth, I don't think anybody was injured during the fire, or I don't think there were any deaths, but the, you know the most modern-looking ship in the world, was destroyed, which is sad. Queen Elizabeth was sent to Singapore on November 13, 1940, while Queen Mary was sent to Sydney, Australia, to pick up troops and to be refitted. In her refitting, Queen Mary was painted navy gray, receiving the nickname Grey Ghost, which I think I love that name, Grey Ghost. A coil was fitted around the outside of the hull to protect the ship from magnetic mines. Furniture and art was removed and replaced with triple stacked bunks and fold-up bunks. All of the silver, art, and other luxury items on the Queen Mary were stored in warehouses during the war. And Queen Mary and Elizabeth were the fastest troop ships in the war, carrying as many as 15,000 men in a single voyage often traveling without escort. Their high speeds and zigzag routes made it almost impossible for U-boats to keep up. On October 2nd, 1942, Queen Mary was carrying around 10,000 American troops to Europe. When she approached England, escort ships met up with the liner However, off the coast of Ireland, the Queen Mary accidentally ran right through the cruiser Caraco. Because of the U-boat threat, both ships were zigzagging. However, each captain thought they had the right of way. And here's a quote by an eyewitness, Alfred Johnson. Quote, We could see our escort zigzagging in front of us. It was common for the ships and Krugers to zigzag to confuse the U-boats. In this particular case, however, 
the escort was very, very close to us. I said to my mate, You know, she's zigzagging all over the place in front of us. I'm sure we're going to hit her. And sure enough, the Queen Mary sliced the cruiser in two like a piece of butter straight through the six-inched armored plating. Unquote. Honestly, though, what a power move by Queen Mary. She's got a job to do, and no one is sailing in her way, and she doesn't care who you fight for. Like, she plowed through that ship, and there was no damage to her. Like, icon. The ship's 338 crew members were thrown into the the ocean, the Caracos crew members. They were all thrown into the ocean, uh, but only 99 of them were rescued by another escort ship since Queen Mary was ordered to never stop no matter what. It's brutal, but it's wartime. Like, you got to keep moving or you put yourself at risk of death. It's unfortunate that hundreds of people died that day for such a freak accident or something that probably could have been avoided. But when a captain is given strict orders by the military, it's, you know. During a trip in December of 1942, Queen Mary was carrying 11,339 soldiers and crew when she was struck by a rogue wave, potentially reaching a height of 92 feet. That's like, it's like an eight to nine story building. That's frightening. To be sitting on the deck and to see a 92 foot wave approach you and there's absolutely nothing you could do, that's insane. The ship rolled 52 degrees and would have capsized had she rolled another three degrees. Like, I cannot imagine how terrifying that would be. And I'm surprised no one was thrown from the ship, you know? I mean, I guess they probably all ran inside when they saw a giant wave coming, but maybe they pulled a pirate to the Caribbean and the entire population of the ship ran to the other side to get her back to normal. You know, 11,000 people running toward the wave, and when Queen Mary tilted back, they ran to the other side, grabbing the rail and dangling till she was flat. That would be funny to watch, but the ocean is scary, y'all. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's scary. Queen Mary also set a record for carrying the most passengers ever transported on one vessel, which was in July 1943, when she carried 16,683 people. She could only do that in the summer since soldiers had to sleep on the deck. She also carried Winston Churchill on several occasions when he had meetings with Allied forces. But apparently he was listed as Colonel Warden on the papers. After the war, both Queen Mary and Elizabeth were refitted again, back as passenger ships. Queen Mary sailed the fastest ever transatlantic trip, reaching Southampton in just three days, and 22 hours. Both ships dominated the Atlantic Sea and made Cunard tons of money transporting passengers between England and the United States. A minor misstep for Mary happened on January 1st, 1949. She ran aground on 
France, but she was refloated the following day and continued service. However, the passenger ship game would die down in 1958 when the first transatlantic flight by a jet aircraft began. Queen Mary could get you to New York in less than four days, but the airplane could get you there in eight hours. And the need for passenger liners severely dropped, and the Cunard Company was operating at a loss by the mid-60s. They decided to retire both Queen Mary and Elizabeth, which is when Long Beach, California stepped in and purchased Queen Mary for $3.45 million dollars, Queen Mary retired from service in 1967 and celebrated her final and 1,000th crossing of the North Atlantic on September 27, 1967. She carried 2,112,000 passengers over 3,792,227 miles. She's a working girl. To quote Dolly Parton, busy, busy, busy. She, re- she deserves her retirement. She deserves to relax in LA and live the rest of her life out in peace. We're going to take a quick break and I will be right back with the ghosts of the Queen Mary. Queen Mary is permanently docked at Long Beach, as I was saying, and officially a historical site. It's a hotel, museum, and event facility. At least, again, it's under repair, so it was these things, and hopefully it will be these things again. They removed all of the unnecessary equipment from the ship, such as the boiler rooms and the generator rooms. All the rooms on the first two decks were converted to hotel rooms. Upscale restaurants were put in and a lot more changes went into place to prepare it to be a functioning hotel. In the late 1980s, Walt Disney acquired the Queen Mary and wanted to use it for a project he was working on called Disney Sea. And it was going to be a theme park celebrating the oceans, which I think is a fantastic idea. But the plans fell through in 1992, but they were eventually recycled for Tokyo Disney, where there's a replica Queen Mary in the American waterfront section of the park, which I think is fun. With neglect over the years and bad business dealings, the Queen Mary is in rough shape today. She closed because of the pandemic in 2020, of course, and cannot be reopened until she is completely fixed, which will cost millions of dollars. And I truly hope the group that currently owns the hotel takes care of the issues because I'd hate to see a part of history scrapped or at the bottom of the bay, especially when there's still ghost hunting to do on board, honestly. The important things ghost hunting. 
Claims of the ship being haunted have started ever since it was docked in Long Beach. In 2008, Time Magazine named Queen Mary amongst the top 10 haunted places. And during her years of travel, the Queen Mary was host to at least 49 recorded deaths, though records weren't kept during the war, so it's likely much higher. There could be up to 150 different spirits haunting the ship today. And most of the people who died on board died of natural causes. But here's a list of the non-natural causes that were recorded. Seaman A.J.G. Golding died of a skull fracture in 1936. Senior Second second Officer W.E. Stark was accidentally poisoned in 1949. He accidentally drank acid that he thought was gin. Trimmer A.J. Lee fell overboard in 1951, as did A.E. Boyland in 1959. Seaman C. McCarthy accidentally fell to his death in 1966. And Fireman J. Petter was crushed to death in 1966. Most of the passenger deaths were natural causes like old age, heart attack, or stroke. Some are listed as unknown, so we could have a real Agatha Christie novel with those. A man overboard case, an accidental death, though it doesn't go into further detail. Of course, the Queen Mary was partially responsible for all the deaths that came from the collision during the war. Some of the more haunted areas include stateroom B. 340. In 1948, British passenger Walter J. Adamson passed away in the stateroom. However, the cause of death is it's not listed. But almost two decades after his death, a woman was staying in the room when she reported that the covers of her bed were ripped off of her in the middle of the night. And when she sat up confused as to what happened, she saw a man standing at the foot of her bed. She screamed and immediately rang for the steward. But before he could arrive, the man at the foot of the bed vanished. People staying in the room at the hotel have reported knocking on the door in the middle of the night. The bathroom light is flipped on by itself. Maids have reported the bathroom water running, even though no one has stayed in the room for days. They've also witnessed the bed cover pulled from the bed right after they make the bed. Honestly, if I made the bed and an invisible force pulled them off, I'd leave it. I'd be so mad. I hate making the bed. And honestly, I don't know what management wants from these people that are trying to just clean up and make beds and they're dealing with ghosts all the time. Eventually, the room was shut down for a while, but it was reopened for the ghost hunters that are interested in staying in rooms that are haunted. The Mauritania room was it. The Mauritania room has its share of hauntings. In 1989, two women entered the lounge to set up for a VIP reception. As they walked in, they noticed a man sitting on a chair in the middle of the dance floor. 
And that's some bullshit right there. Nothing good comes from a man. And more specifically, a man not saying anything, sitting in the middle of a dance floor. You dance on a dance floor. You don't sit in the dark by yourself on a dance floor. What the fuck? The two women were weirded out, but they had to clean the room and get it ready, so they left the man alone to sit in silence. A third woman joined her co-workers in the lounge and helped clean the space. However, the man was staring at this third woman, and when she got too close to him, he told her to move. The employees decided to call security to ask him to leave, but before security showed up, the man disappeared right in front of all three women. I don't know if those women ever worked in that room again. It would be hard to go back. Because I'm sure they didn't say anything thinking it was like a guest staying there and they were, it probably didn't say off limits or anything. So they were just like, well, we'll just leave him here until he has to go. But to just disappear in front of them and to tell her to get out of his way, no. He could fuck off. The Mayfair room was once the ship's salon, but it's since been converted to offices. In 2001, a member of the accounting staff for the hotel came in early at 5.30 a.m. She went about her job, but the entire time she felt something was off. When she sat down at her desk, she was abnormally cold. And as she worked at her desk, she felt someone bump up behind her chair. She spun around and saw a transparent figure walk across the room and through a closed door. She immediately left the room until her co-workers arrived. And that was like the last of that. The first class swimming pool has since been abandoned. However, it is one of the more active areas of the ship. There's a woman in a tennis skirt mainly seen walking down the stairs to the pool. There's a woman in a wedding gown that sits next to the pool while her child plays in the pool. There's also a little girl in a blue and white dress that wanders the pool area until she disappears in a cloud of steam that comes from nowhere. You may also see water footprints appear as if someone was walking along the pool, even though the pool hasn't had water in it for years. Boiler room four houses a little girl that holds her doll and sucks her thumb. In 1966, the watertight doors in the engine and boiler rooms were ordered to be closed during a firefighting exercise. About five minutes later, an 18-year-old crew member was found crushed to death by Hatch 13, trapped with his arms pinned to his side. His arm, chest, and pelvis were crushed so much that he died. If you walk by Hatch 13, you may hear someone walking behind you and whistling, knocking on the door, and, or seeing the figure of a bearded man in blue coveralls, crushed by the hatch. Also, keep a lookout for Winston Churchill because you may see him smoking a cigar in one of the estate rooms, which I think is hilarious because you may also see Winston Churchill in the White House, and I covered that in the first season. 
And if any of this interests you, the Queen Mary has a ghost hunting experience you can try out when it opens back up. Or you can spend the night and have a random experience without hunting the ghosts down. So I believe my uncle had rehearsals for a show he was in or he was working on when he was younger on the Queen Mary. And he's told me this story before, but I I believe he was on his way to the restroom during rehearsal. But because it's an old ship, it's not like restrooms are in overly convenient spots. So as he was wandering the halls, again, that all look very similar, he believed he saw someone following him. But when he turned around, no one was there. So he went to the restroom, did his thing, and when he came out of the bathroom and made his way back to the rehearsal space, he saw someone vanish through a wall. I definitely believe that that ship is haunted. It's almost 100 years old, and millions of people have spent the night on the, la- on the liner. And I can't pin down an average number of deaths in hotels a year, but it could be anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousands. Of course, mostly being natural causes. But the chance you're sleeping in a room that someone died in is higher than you probably thought. So not only did the Queen Mary have all the unlisted wartime deaths, but also all the unlisted deaths when she has been a hotel. The Queen Mary transported so many soldiers into the war, but she probably also carried injured men out of war as well. And I would not be surprised if you saw a ghost of a man wandering the ship without an arm or with a gunshot wound in the head or whatever the case may be. These men went through hell and I bet a handful died on their way home from war. So let's all hope that the Queen Mary gets the proper fixes it needs so we can check it out and hopefully experience some paranormal sightings there. And with that, Thank you for joining me this week. You can follow Haunted Hometowns on social media for photos related to each episode, guest info, and upcoming news. Click that subscribe and or follow button if you like what you hear. It really helps the podcast grow so I can keep bringing you ghost stories. You can bring me ghost stories as well by emailing your paranormal experiences to hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com or DMing your ghost stories on Instagram or other social media platforms could be anything from an invisible force throwing water in your face to your TV glitching and an evil looking creature crawls out of it. Let me know and I will see you all next week because everyone loves a ghost story. The music is by Ty Air. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Pop Star. And the artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at P e.p.e.munoz m-u-n-o-z I got my information from Wikipedia Travel and Leisure, Travel Channel Emma Cruises and Ghost Ships by Angus Constant.